0: everyone welcome back to the queens of social work podcast i'm your co-host queen p
1: and i'm your co-host queen h
0: we invite you all to join us this week as we share laugh cry and learn through our experiences as women of color who happen to be social workers so let's get started the upcoming episode will include sensitive content and may trigger some of
1: you please
0: feel free to skip this episode or parts as needed
1: So the month of April is Child Abuse Awareness Month, and we continue our work by bringing you awareness to these social issues. There have been so many child abuse cases over the years, and most of the time, when these abuse cases come to the attention of the media, it's because something has gone wrong, and there's usually a a child fatality. If you watch Netflix, you may have come across a documentary called The Trial of Gabriel Fernandez which is an extreme example, but unfortunately not uncommon. Children are a special population, and most people
0: naturally feel inclined to protect them, which is understandable. Some people feel so strongly about the idea of harm being inflicted upon a child that they feel like they have to parent, however other people parent their own kids, and they're out of order. For some of us, though, who are mandated reporters, it is fully within our scope to ensure that children are not harmed and to report when we
1: suspect that there's reason to be concerned. Situations happen every day that can lead to harm, neglect, or maltreatment of a child, and today we are speaking about child abuse in the school setting with Tabitha Ferrer, a.k.a. Queen T, who is a licensed social worker and the founder of the For Air Project LLC. The mission of her organization is to curate mental health and wellness spaces for youth to be educated on mental health, become more aware of their wellness, and learn skills to manage daily challenges. Welcome, Queen T. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yes. Thank you for being here. So, Queen T, how do you know Queen
2: H? Wow. Um, Through a mutual friend, um, we met on Instagram. Um, I believe we did a live together mm-hmm. um, and that's how we started. And then from there, we kind of connected on like social work thing, client things, mm-hmm. And now we're here.
0: <laughs> you know, one of the things that's most underrated, I find, is how social workers get together. We're so used to working in our silos. Medical social workers hang with medical. Psych hangs with psych child welfare hangs with child welfare. We don't really mix and
1: mingle. So thank God for social media. Right. agreed. And thank God for mutual friends. That That part.
0: part. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Queen T. So let's get into it. So tell me about what setting you work in, what population you work with, and what are your credentials and certifications?
2: So currently I'm a licensed master social worker. Um, I work full-time Nine to five, well, I guess not nine to five, but 73305. 305 um, in a middle school. Our school is very small. We have over 300 children, like a one level. I'm the only social worker in my school right now. Yes, only social worker. There's one guidance counselor and me and her are very close and work hand in hand. Bonnie and Clyde in our school. Um, predominantly, our children are African-American, Hispanic. We do have some Asian because um, we are in Queens, New York but predominantly African-American and Hispanic.
1: Wow, the only social worker with 300
2: children. Yes. That's a lot. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And in my role, I see mandated children. So children who have IEPs and the IEP is an individual education plan. So children who are special needs who require counseling. So I see, The students with the IEPs, plus I deal with our general education population with crises, um, anything that's at risk, any stresses that they're having, any like moments that they're having. So I deal with both sides and six through eight. So predominantly I work with six, but I also support seventh and eighth when needed. Oh my goodness. That's a workload now. That is a workload. Yes. And then once you build that rapport with the youth, you're always their go-to, no matter what. And then you're continuously building rapport as the school year goes on. So you may start with like your 10 little kids or just your mandates, And then it expands because, you know, a youth adapts to you. Their friends want to talk to you. And then it's like, can you talk to this kid and mediate? Now that kid like builds a rapport with you. So now you're going from like 10 little mandated kids to a whole classroom of kids wanting to talk to you and want to pull you. And can you pull me? Can you pull me? And a lot of times I'm like, I would love to pull you, but I'm dealing with this right now. And it really sucks because they're like, I miss you. And I'm like, I'm really, really sorry. And I have to apologize to them sometimes because I get pulled, even if it's I'm dealing with them. It's like, I really need to deal with this crisis. So I have to apologize and say, I have to stop right now because of this, but I promise I'm going to come back and pull you and give you like 10 extra minutes with me. So they're very understanding of that. They don't like it but they go with the flow with me. But yeah, it's a lot.
1: (laughs) Well, go ahead, Queen T. You have to talk about organizational skills for that, right? You need to have some
2: organization (laughs) to deal with all of that. You do. And I will plan like today, I planned out my whole day. And some days you don't get to who you need to get to in a day because other things come up. And with the whole shortage of teachers and coverages and like all the things with the mandates that happen at the beginning of school year sometimes you just get pulled and the call out you get pulled when you don't expect it and you know things get pushed to the side sometimes that is real
1: and i think with so many children to see sometimes things can get pushed to the side but i know you're hyper focused on seeing uh, certain signs in children so What does neglect and maltreatment look like? What Mm. has your experience been with reporting child abuse in a
2: school setting? So me personally, I've only had to call an ACS case in once. And that was for a sexual assault situation. Um, And it was like very random. Like it wasn't something that we were leading into, something I suspected. It was having a conversation and boom, it comes up and I'm like, oh, And this is like year one of me as a social worker. I was like, oh, what we do now? Like, you gotta call it. And I said, oh, you know, and it's hard because it's something you didn't expect. It's something that can change a whole family dynamic. Um, And then what does it look like sometimes? You do have children who come into school who may have markings on them, who may have like a little black eye, who may be sore. Sometimes they don't have the proper clothing. Sometimes their clothes are very dirty. Sometimes their medical needs are not met as far as like having health insurance. Um, their mental needs are not met. You, you know that a child mentally is not stable and they're uh, suffering with suicidal ideation. Doing self harm. And you're seeing markets and the parent or the guardian just isn't getting them the support that they need, which can fall under neglect. Or we will, we've had to EMS somebody before and when they go to the hospital, and they're given the service, it is denied. The hospital can't force it, the school can't force it. Um, That's a part of neglect. Um, So I've called ACS once, but I've been in situations with families where ACS has been called or the family already has a case open and I'm brought into a situation. There's just so many signs of things. Um, Basic needs not met. Not having food, shelter, we're living outside, we're house hopping. educational neglect is another thing like not the child not coming to school but then with ACS now too I think so many of the policies with COVID and stuff has changed that we could call it but sometimes there's not much ACS can do to help support us and get it or the family and getting them what they need like us as a school will see that this child is not in a supportive housing or situation but because the parent may be receptive or answering or like willing to come to a meeting or that kind of pushes a case back in many cases get closed which kind of sucks because it puts that child back in a cycle and there's but so much as a school we can do and then stuff like lack of supervision is very hard like the aging of when you can supervise yourself when can you supervise a little kid um, parents working so many jobs to support the family. And it's like, you want me to supervise, I have no support, but then you're gonna get on my case because I have no money because I can't go to work. It's hard. The whole call of ACS is super, super hard because of like situations that as a single parent, like you get stuck in, but then there's families that you really have to put your foot down and call because they're really like, unfortunately abusing the kid. Um, And sometimes there's also sexual abuse that is happening in the households, and denial is real. Um, And that stems from their own trauma that's happening. So like the umbrella of it, like I feel like to sum it up, you have your physical abuse, your sexual abuse, emotional, social, basic needs not being met, like there's a lot that comes under it. Um, And just a lot of kids bringing that emotional, like being talked down to at home, parents leaving to work certain places and leaving them with like an elderly parent even though it's not neglect emotionally that kind of like does something to you yeah and the things that happen when you call ACS that relationship that you just built with that family is gone like a parent can open up like these are my stresses ABC if someone says you gotta call ACS based on what you said that relationship most of the time is gone because the parent feels like, dang, you just turned your back on me. And I just shared all my stresses with you. So it's a lot. It's a whirlwind of stuff that you have to like really have a support system and be like aware um, and know when it's neglect or know when there's like, they need some support. Cause that's the other thing. Do they have the support? Do they have the interventions in place? Has anybody ever worked with them before? had they had cases, had they had preventative services? what do they have before you make that call?
1: Yeah, it can be hard to decide. And I know, uh, Queen P, mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to share, you know, us working in, in medical social work, being faced with some of the same mm-hmm. <laughs> questions and decisions on wh- whether to make that call or not. Um, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah,
0: we've definitely had to make that call. Mm-hmm. Uh, What I found interesting in my work, not only in medicine, but also in foster care and in Mm child welfare, was that the way that Black and Brown people receive calls is a lot different than the way white people receive calls. Mm -hmm. Um, State intervention, city intervention, it looks a lot different. You know, in terms of my experience in reporting child abuse, I'll call it day and night, night and day, because I ain't got no time. At the end of the day, I don't need proof. I just need to suspect And once Mm -hmm. I suspect, baby, we call in the State Central Registry. Hello. Hey, girl. It's me again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They know me by name down there. Okay. But not only do they know me by name, because I feel like it's important, because regardless of your own work as a clinician, as a provider, and your supervisor's experience, and the levels of uh, support that you do have when you're in a certain position, it's better to be safe than to be sorry. Right. Mm-hmm. And even if you run it by your supervisor and they're like, girl, that don't seem like a reason to call it in. And you run it by somebody else and they're like, ah, I don't really know. If there's any doubt at all, you need to make that call. Mm-hmm. 50% of the time, there's been some foolishness. So I'm like, you know what? Your ass about to get called on. And you don't even know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The other 50% of the time, it's like, girl, sit with me. Mm-hmm. We have to make this call. Mm-hmm. You won't be able to get access to the things that you need mm-hmm. until we recognize that this is a problem. This is a safety issue, and you can't do it by yourself. The city is here for a reason, right? Because they got resources. They always talk about they ain't got no money, but they got resources. They have all these programs. Why not allow yourself to accept the help? Get what's available if you can, you know, while you can. Let these people support you. That's what the safety net is there for. And I agree.
2: A lot of times, people hear ACS, they think it's such a negative stigma to it. And I get why, right? Because even as social workers, we get that, you about to take my kid name, you coming in my house. you That's what we get. So there's a lot of negative stigma also to ACS. But they're like there's so much resources behind them. But that title alone is like, Aunt, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want you in my house. Mm-hmm. Y'all not going to do nothing for me. Y'all never did nothing for me except take my kids out of my house. Y'all call my job. Like there's just so much negative that, we can't even like encourage the resources because of like everything that's already out there. Yeah. And I think it's it's hard, right? Because of
1: the point of bringing that in the black and brown community, right? The disproportionate amount of us involved in the system as compared to white people. And it's like white people be here, white people out here doing things to their children, you know, but because... Whether it's economic, that they have more money and they're able to, you know, just say, Well, you can consult my lawyer. You can't come in this house, right? There's many reasons why that's happening, right? But ultimately, we have to see what is going to be best in the moment for the child because we don't know what's happening, right? right. And children are going to always want their parent, regardless of how their parent is treating them, right? I, I have seen it, you know, in my work in foster care, knowing that these parents are beating the crap, not, not you know, black people beat be like you getting spanked. No, I mean, beating, black him blue, beating mm-hmm. them. They still will cover for their parent. They still want their parent, right? Yes. And so it's almost like you have to kind of decide like, what am I going to do now? I have to run the risk of this parent being mad at me or this child being mad at me or I have to think about the safety of this child, right? And even when we brought up that case briefly about Gabrielle Fernandez, right? There were people that saw things and Mm. felt bad. And there's some people that called, they actually called, but other people didn't do what they needed to do. And Mm -hmm. this child, this poor child, was getting the brakes beat off of him. And for what, for just existing, Mm -hmm. right? And so had, you know, even one of those systems stepped up in the right way, the way that Mm. they would have, that child would be alive. Would be alive. And you think about the cases in New York, Nick's Mary Brown, right? Come on now. Listen, I'm going back in the day, Listen, right? (laughs) Nick's Mary, right? So then those are the things that make me, you know, even when I'm thinking like, oh, I feel bad. Like, nah, I got to call because at the end of the day, me calling could be a step in between this child's life or death. Right, depending on what it is, and and it could mm-hmm. be something small that I notice, and I don't think it's really something, but it turns out that it is really something.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's true. I remember before I even became a social worker, and I was just dealing like youth development, like after school programs. There's like two kids that come to mind. One kid, the mom had hit the kid like a a real quick like pow, like not like a beating, but like a you getting you getting me mad, you doing something stupid, pow. ACS comes, the cops come, take mom out. Mm-hmm. That little boy, when I tell you he was angry, mm-hmm. he was angry. One day he was like running through the school. Ma. He's like, I'm mad the government took my mom. Mm-hmm. And at this point, he's like first grade. This is how you're talking to me. The government mm-hmm. took my mom and I'm upset. He knows why. But to see your mom go out in cuffs, because it's like, yes, yeah, safety, but it takes a toll. And that goes to your point, like kids will protect their family, want to be with their parents. Like I was like, oh, ow, like that hurt me Mm because you hurt. Mm -hmm. But then there's other cases like I remember too, the same program, we was calling, calling, calling. We saw stuff in a book bag. We saw this, they wasn't taking the case. Mm -hmm. It's like, so you can either get it where it's like, you know, it was that one time and this happened because that mom had to go through parenting class and a lot of stuff, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: it really sucked. And then you got it where you see little things and you all not taking it. Mm -hmm. So
1: that's, and that's the broken part of the system. And that's what makes it
2: hard to call.
1: I want to say one um, last thing before we move on to to the next point. But um, one thing that I would do when I would call it in, I would let the parent know I'm calling. I would be very honest because the reaction is very different than Mm -hmm. them being surprised by it where they build the mistrust is what you don't tell them and they find out, then they know, oh, is that social worker B in the hospital? (laughs) Is that social worker B at the school calling in that damn school, that guidance counselor? But when I say, listen, it's not me. I don't wanna do this to you. Unfortunately, this is the rule that I follow, right? Mm -hmm. And this is why I have to call it in. Now you can sit here with me while I call it in so you can hear what I'm saying. Cause mm-hmm. I'm going to tell them exactly what you told me. And I'm going to tell them exactly what the child told me. Right. You could do that. Right. But I'm letting you know that this is the situation that I have to call it in. And I can tell you in my career, I've been cussed out maybe twice. Right. And I've been doing this. I've been in the game, calling ACS like I know that number by heart. Okay. I've been calling the mandated hotline and twice, twice. That's it. Even in foster care when I had to call OSI on the foster parents, I ne- I did not get because they knew mm-hmm. Queen H played by the rules. This is the rule. I let you know I'm by the book. I did not slide. We heck <laughs> we, yeah, yeah, we not best friends, right? This is this is what oh. it is. We're building a rapport. We we have boundaries, but I have to do what's in the best interest of the child. That's it. And some people may not agree, but go ahead. Yes. You call with them. You call with them because a lot of the time they'll, they'll get it. Mm
0: -hmm. Like they know they can't do it all, you know, and they know they file. And and at the end of the day, there are laws in place. We're not just deciding we're going to do this because it's our own thing, right? There are
2: laws in place. It it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And the parents will say sometimes, I know you got to call it in. I know you got to do your job. It sucks, Mm -hmm. but I know. And then you got the other ones that like curse you out. (laughs) Yeah. what well, they tell you I'm gonna call myself
1: go ahead call listen I've had straight up in that mm-hmm. ER this child is doing this and yes I bust them in and the, I will call myself listen you know what let me help you call let them take that you like wait hold on miss like this your child right. <laughs> but they know their child and and uh, you can just tell there's other dynamics going on but mm-hmm. it is listen I gotta call the people it is the people's job To investigate, it ain't my job. If I work for ACS, then I'm investigating. I do not work for ACS. They do not pay me. Okay, so I only have to suspect, right? Because if I don't call this thing in and I know something's going on, you can get jail time. Ain't nobody losing a license. You Mm -mm. can lose your license. They're gonna have you all on the TV. They not talk about these police officers. They don't got them. Oh, you know what, let me not go on that tangent. Okay, let me not. Because you know, I'll go I'll go over there. But they have the poor little social worker not knowing they got 300 students they dealing with. I ain't get the call because all 300 got a crisis. But you got me on TV charging me up. Yep. I'm quick to take my license, but you ain't take this person gun and bag. But girl, you know what? Go ahead, Queen Pete, because I'm a- Listen,
0: H, go off. go wrong queen okay (laughs) because it's the truth it is i'm always here for the truth yes Mm, mm, mm. so queen t hey are you able to refer these high-risk families directly to preventive services or other community services before acs gets involved you said initially that you had only called like once or twice um when you first started
2: here at this current you know position you're at so are you able to make those referrals straight out Yes. So I can make referrals. So we have what's called a school response team. So a lot of times when we see youth um, having in crisis, struggling um, emotionally, whether they're talking about self-harm, things like that, a lot of the times and why we go to our SRT team is because many times families do not know the child is going through this. So we can't... You know, we can't say, oh, ACS, when like the parent had no knowledge that it was happening in the first place. So for me to call ACS and say, well, your child was cutting themselves and you ain't taking to the doctor and you ain't, that's not right. So many times we do go through our support team. Our support teams, we fill out the referral. The support team links our families, and this is in my current position, links the families to therapy outside of the school. Um, It's not connected to the school. We have no, files with them, we have, we don't know anything, only that they're linked. The only things that we do know is if the family signs a HIPAA, then the therapist can call us. So that's one thing that we do support them in that way. Um, if it's not that severe yet where we need to refer out, some things we offer are at risk counseling, parent meetings, just so everybody's on the same page about things. Sometimes I'll implement things in school, um depending on the behavior. Um, some things are like behavior charts or like our support as far as like taking away a phone in school, like things like that, kind of keeping the kids reward systems in school, keeping them on track, um, because I know the family is also dealing with a lot. Um, so before we escalate it, we kind of like implement these smaller things. Um, but our SRT is a lot of times what we link them to to get them at least some mental health services. Once they get linked, they can be linked to other preventive services. So whether it's they need SNAP benefits, um, housing help. Um, the other siblings in the home need therapy, or the parent needs therapy. Our SRT team takes care of a lot of that, so we can skip the step of like having or escalating the step to uh, ACS.
0: Um, I find it interesting that, and actually beneficial that, apart from you being the social worker, there is this SRT team that you can collaborate with before shit hits the fan and before you go directly to the source, um, because. Like I said earlier, you know, sometimes you got to pass it advice few people and say, hey, what do y'all think? You know, on the medical side, as a medical uh, social worker, you're wondering why the parent hasn't seen these marks, right? When you have a kid who is self-harming, you're wondering why the parent doesn't know um, how this child is coping or or how they're processing and what's going on with them. Um, and so, you know, for us, that raises flags like, hmm, this kid live with you. The kid don't be in PJs at no point. the Baby ain't got on the t shirt you ain't seen the baby before, after they got out of the shower. Like, well, what's really happening, you know? So it does raise, you know, Queen H, what you thinking?
1: No, 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 I agree. But for me, you know, on the medical end, if the parents yeah. didn't know, I wouldn't necessarily call that in because mm-hmm. I also know that, you know, we know in child development, you know, these, these teens be sneaky, you know, they be doing all kinds of stuff, they do. you know, they may cut their legs. Right? You know, they're wearing pants. So you'll never know because they, they're shy. Oh, my body, they're hiding, you know, those kind of things. So you may not notice those things. It's the parent that knows it and say, oh, you know, we're just going to handle it. We're just going to take them to church and have the, the pastor pray on them. What, what we'll put saying? cocoa butter on it. You know. Not, you know, you're cutting and you putting Moderna. Say, what now?
2: <laughs> no, ma'am. Yeah, and a lot of the youth now, at least what I see, they are hoodied up, and it is 90 degrees in a building. You, I'm hot with a tank top on, and you got on a black hoodie, and it is hot with some shorts on. And this is a lot of the kids. It's not just, oh, it's just the ones that maybe self-harm. No, no, no. It's all the kids. So you don't even think that something could be wrong under the sleeves because everybody's doing it. Um, or you have the kids that wear all the bangles. Whether it's Pandora, whether it's I don't know, it's like the bees—they got on bangles, mm-hmm. and you like in the, but you don't think that because many kids will have on all these bangles now. Mm-hmm. It really takes for you to see a kid in the hallway and be like, mm, something's off about your mood, your energy. You've been hiding. I haven't been seeing you. Something don't sit right with me, and then you got to pull them in, and that's when you're finding out because that's how I found out a lot of stuff. Because mm-hmm. I noticed I'm not seeing the kid or quiet or no one's looking for something's wrong or oh, you see that they're sad they cry, something's wrong and then you gotta ask are you harming yourself and then here it comes with the waterworks. so you're like mm-hmm. it's okay like we're gonna handle it um and it's hard for them and i get it and they're middle school the hardest age to be they
1: ain't right they middle school they ain't right and i'm not talking about mental health they just the hormones it's the hormones
2: girl <laughs> between your <laughs> elementary school or they want to be high school and they don't know. They trying to fit in and do the things and be on social media and talk about certain things. They want to talk about cootie cats and like things <laughs> and they don't know nothing about a STD, a con. They want to do the grown-up stuff and I tell them, well, y'all not ready for high school and that type of drama or those situations. Y'all not ready and y'all swear y'all ready and you have to break those down. You have to break it down and have the conversation. You need to learn how to communicate. You can't be punching walls because you're angry. You can't be threatening to fight because you're angry. That's not how we solve it. And then it's like, you angry, but what's under all that anger? There's something else going on that's leading to something else that make you feel something else. I know this probably real off topic of what we talking about, but it's all kind of connected. (laughs) No, it's connected because that might be why their
1: mother bust them in the head, right? Or their father uh, kicked they back in because they out here being fast, right? So you know <laughs> that's old school terminology, but but it's true, and it and it goes. And I'm I'm sure we can also do this in another another episode because it is that that middle school years. Oh yeah, come get this one in this house, okay? <laughs> <laughs> come get this
2: one in this house because these middle school. It is. It's yes, yes. And then with the whole LGBTQIA plus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm is like a discussion Mm -hmm. a lot of kids who are exploring Mm -hmm. if your family is not into that community and does not believe in it and you have to go home Mm -hmm. and you you are but you can't be who you are and then Mm -hmm. you get punished which could be abused that's a whole thing and it's hard and you know they're changing one minute we're calling them she or he and then they're going by no pronoun, it's a lot to deal with and then bring it home and you're trying to maneuver Mm -hmm. and it could lead to a situation. We don't want to happen to a baby.
1: Mm -hmm, Exactly. And I think you perfectly segue into where I want to go next. So in your practice as a social worker, do you consciously think about the intersection of who you are and what role it plays in your work, if any?
2: Oh, yeah. I'm always like thinking about who I am. um, How can I connect with the youth? What do I look like and how it relates to them, who they look like? How did I go to school? And the stories I have from like just being in school connects to them. I am one of three Black people in my school. There's only three of us. So me being who I am in the position I am, I could talk to them very freely about certain topics whether it is like, and I got to be real with the boys, like you are a young black male in society and you doing this act of business thinking we could fight, you're going to end up in a place you don't want to be with some cuffs on. Is that where you want to go kind of conversation? I can have those one-to-one and keep it real with them and they understand. Even with some of our females, talking about just being black with natural hair is a topic of conversation, putting each other down, like everybody's hair is not straight, everybody doesn't have the long hair. So talking about that with them. Um, so I think me being who I am, and just being authentically real, it connects with you showing them I care, I like tough love, I'm gonna give you tough love. You be yelling at me at the end of the day. I'm not gonna get off your back. I'm gonna be on your back until you graduate. Uh, I'm gonna tell you, you wrong when you wrong. And we're gonna have these conversations. I'm gonna tell you when I got your back. And when I think you're right, they really appreciate that about me. And I think they need that, especially in society we have now where parents are working more than one job or they're working out of state. Our kids are living with elderly grandparents. Um, Some are living in a shelter system. Some are living in a broken home with one parent. Some of them do not have fathers in their households. So there's like so many things that are going on in the youth's life where I can kind of figure out how to connect it or bring them back to like when I was your age and these were kind of the things that were going on and kind of segue them that has helped build that connection with them. Um, and then being just a female with my female students, just letting them know like what you're saying and or what you're receiving and accepting from another peer, you should not have to accept and is not okay. And learning how to say, that's not okay, I'm not okay. Or okaying a apology. Oh, it's okay. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. No, 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 you don't gotta say okay. So an apology, you say, thank you, accept the apology. We don't want to, okay, a behavior that we didn't like in the first place. So I think that kind of like, I constantly think about that. And I think that I was hired because I'm also very young. I'm probably one of the younger staff members in our school building. So they often mix me up as a kid anyway, (laughs) all the time. They really think that, oh, I thought you was a kid. And I wear my hair so differently. I confuse them. So they're like, oh, it's just you. And I'm like, yeah, it's just me. So and then the kids they gravitate I wear the sneakers I wear the Jordans I wear Rip Jeep. well not all the way Rip but you know it may be a little a little Rip <laughs> I'm not going to show thighs and all that <laughs> <story>. <laughs> No can't be naked. Not going to be naked crop top none of that but they can connect and feel like oh she's not like one of those grandma old people no that's not me that's not me. That's what I bring to the table at schools and they really connect with it like a born gift or something yeah
1: no no I think that's important for them to see especially if you're talking about in a school you're one of three black people that that matters they can see themselves in you and they're able to know okay there's someone here who understands me because sometimes when you have a situation where there are no black people in the school I'll say this, you have one, you have a lot more ACS calls because what I notice, even on the hospital end, right? When we get the kids from the school, you know, that teacher of another race or culture or Hugh. that guidance of oh, Hugh, thank you, of the other, another Hugh um, <laughs> is quick to call ACS and it's not that kind of situation, right? And so there are certain understandings or culturally that they may not have. And so the child may say this in a certain way and they're misinterpreting it. And then they're like ready to, you know, call, you know, ACS. Like, for instance, you know, I like to bring, uh, you know, pop culture into it. But on Atlanta, I was looking briefly because Atlanta, they, I guess their new season is on. Long story short, on one of the episodes this little boy was acting up in school he got sent to the principal's office the mom and the grandfather came right single mother grandfather's helping out and you know the the principal is talking to them regular the teacher of a different hue wanted to come in and intervene and talk about <laughs> what the child was doing and what she thinks will work and and the mother's like i know my child don't say anything Now, the mother was wrong because she should have took the child outside, but she didn't. So she was talking to the child. and was like making him do pushups or something like that. Vaguely remember my brain. I got too much stuff in my brain. But she was making him do a physical, oh, no, dancing. She was making him dance. It's like, oh, you want to be the class clown. So go ahead and dance. You better hit that wall. You better do all of this, right? And then the grandfather is old school. He reached up and slapped the boy and was like, you need to behave. Like he slapped him. Bam, bam, bam guess who was in the hallway peeping the scene? The teacher mm-hmm. of another hue grabbed the boy and was like, oh, we're gonna get you away from that terrible place. So now when ACS or CPS pulled up, the mom was like, oh, you pulling up for him? Take him, kicked him right on out. Gave him the clothes. Cause I'm tired of the trouble. I'm out here working. You ain't doing what you need to do. Guess where the boy went? He went to a home of someone of a different hue, Mm -hmm. that was cooking chicken in the microwave that didn't understand, didn't want to give him a washcloth to bathe his skin. It's crazy. And so now you're intervening in something and you don't understand what's going on, the dynamic. Now, grandpa shouldn't have slapped him, but at the same token, understand the dynamic. You got to know what's going on here too. So I said a lot, but
2: you get what I'm saying. And I think that plays a big part Is People of a different hue stepping in and not not saying we need to investigate, but you need to ask the right questions and y'all don't got the right questions to get the answers. Y'all just, oh, we gonna take it for what it is and make the call, but it's like, you don't dig a little, you don't put the hole in the wood and kind of like, let me see, fish around a little bit. That's the problem too. The call probably didn't need to be made for some cases, not for that case, but for some cases, if you had a conversation, that was real with that child mm-hmm. and found out because sometimes kids will make up a story and tell you, and then you call the parent. And it's like, the child said, what? Right. That ain't how it went. I'm going to tell that ain't how it went. And you're like, oh, I'm glad. Woo. I called the house first, but not everybody has that. Mm-hmm. That uh, mindset.
0: Right. And, you know, I also want to add my little piece about... How we understand and conceptualize abuse, right, in America, because what we call a love tap is what people over for you would call a spanking. Yep. Yeah. And what we call a whooping is people saying, "Oh, you did." Like, <laughs> I think how we think about it, how we how we term it, how we coin it, how we conceptualize it is different, and it varies among cultures, among races, among humans. It just varies. And I think that that also plays a role in when these calls get made. You know, yes, we have families of a certain hue that are protected and are for some reason left outside of the scope when we think about child abuse. Oh, they would never. What? You haven't said to me in eight months, right? They would never. Okay. And then we have, you know, um, the excuses that are made for them and the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't think of it, but like when you just let things go, like you like deniability, like it, it could never possibly happen to these particular people. Like and then denial, laissez faire. I don't know if that's the word that I'm looking for, but it's along those lines, you mm-hmm. know, for for lack of a better word, it's along the lines of that. And then there's people like us um, who are of color and who have a different experience, and then there are workers like us who have a different experience, and like you, Queen T, you're one of three when all 300 of your students are of color, right? And you're one of three of the staff that can relate to them, that can understand the experience that they have, the lived experience that they have as people of color. It's crazy. So we need to think about abuse on a whole, like, you know, actually on a spectrum, you know, what is abuse? What does it look like?
2: Because this is Child Abuse Awareness Month. Yeah, we have to, um, and it looks so different. And language, like you said, language plays a huge part. Mm-hmm. And then age, like little kids may say, "I got a spanking," "I got a pow pow," and right? Say, pow pow, depending who, what, where they hit you. We now you got a little five year old telling you all of this, like, and it hurt, and I got a mark here, and I, you know. And because the baby's five, the picture is painted very differently than someone who is sixteen, and Oh yeah, I got a I got a hit, but I deserved hit because I was talking back kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. oh mm-hmm. It, it is a lot and it, it needs like clear definition. And like with ACS now, there's so much, I feel like changing mm-hmm. um as far as like how you can like when you report, what is acceptable as when you hit a child? Open fist, close like they suspect so much. Did you backhand them? Did you smack him in the face? Did you hit him in the arm? Like there's so much, and then some things are. Well, if you didn't close for them, like that gets, okay, I, you know, I see how it was before punishment. It wasn't like abuse. Mm-hmm. Like there's some things that get looked at and like, okay. And then there's some things that like, you're like, I'm confused. How the system is built and how it pushes it out to us or to the different communities. And is read differently
0: hmm Definitely. You
2: know, that was the last question in terms of, T,
0: have you seen differences in service provision after child welfare services are already in place? And if so, what are those differences? And I think you kind of answered that in terms of, you know, there being a dichotomy of people of color who are, um, I guess, the providers and children of color who are the ones experiencing the so-called abuse. People who are of a different hue experiencing abuse or not experiencing abuse, and them as the provider experiencing or determining what abuse is, what it looks like. So that there's that dichotomy there, that you'll have a different experience
2: if you are one or the other. Definitely agree, yeah. And even if I think if we're the same color too, the experiences are very different. And then even with like providing the services, depending who we are, you may get more services than another person. And that impacts the whole experience itself which either makes it like go quick. And I gonna say quick because cases have to stay open for at least 60 days, but may make it better than others. You may never see a worker, but then you have this one worker for this other family who's doing everything going through the nitty gritty. And it's like, you didn't really deserve all the nitty gritty because it was like something small, but you get in that work. Who's like, boom, 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 boom. Cause they see something other than somebody else's family a different hue whatever it is but they're like either they're doing their job really strictly or they just got this like personal thing that could come out um and it makes the whole experience very difficult depending for some it can make them difficult because i was hearing a case today it's like um a tip for tat case like you know we we called but there's a lot of family issues and it's like we're trying to like kind of fight back and forth and that doesn't help the family either or the children we're not really calling because there's technically abuse there um or there's another one it's it's just like I'm doing it revengeful to call it on you and it's of course they're the same color African-American we're calling it because we being being revengeful why are we doing that why why do we do that and it's causing big issues
0: forgot about that thank you for bringing that up Queen T you're absolutely right yes I forgot about those, oh, my neighbor call, oh, my sister call, then, you know, then you get these kids in the emergency room that ACS is bringing in for a medical eval because something happened, there's remand order, you know, this thing is going to the 10th degree and it's only because something happened that somebody said or they're trying to be vengeful and get back at somebody else.
2: Yeah, it gets messy and it was like a waste of time to do. And resource. And and resources. And that's the We complain about so many resources, but then it's being given to wrong inappropriate situations when the kids who and the families need it can't get it mm-hmm. a lot <laughs> yeah
0: yeah I
1: forgot all about that Oh, we got to do better folks absolutely absolutely well this this was a great discussion thank you so much Queen T we enjoyed
2: having you on thank you for having me I'm so happy for this opportunity Yay! I'm coming back I don't know. When. Absolutely. Because <laughs> what we got to talk about next time, we want to talk
1: about more about the Four Air Project. So you yes. got to tell us where we can follow
2: you. Yes. Yes. So um, I'm on Instagram at the Four Air Project. Um, the same on Facebook, the Four Air Project page. Like and follow. I do have some projects coming up this summer. I'm excited about for the little babies. So I'm based in Queens, New York. And I'm doing a whole wellness series. So y'all are actually the first outside of my partners to know this. Oh, my God, Yes, so I planned the whole wellness series summit. Um, it's five weekends, so five different workshops. I'm creating the space, and I have many community partners coming in to facilitate mm. different activities. So positive information, vision boards. Um, They'll be doing some painting, kind of like a paint and sip without (laughs) the sip. I'm doing a day of just self-care and stress management. So doing DIY stuff, creating a stress ball, doing some painting, maybe bead, making things that kids can learn how to take care of themselves and coping skills. Um, And then I'm doing like a stay active day. So the whole series is based around the eight dimensions of wellness. So I pulled out a few of them and we're kind of like targeting some and teaching youth the skills. Talk, having healthy discussions, then so when they go back in September, they have a couple skills in their toolbox because COVID was real and still real, and these babies have no tools in their toolbox for the last yes. three years. Yes, absolutely. We need the people to
1: work with the babies because if we don't work with the babies, they're going to come up and become adults <laughs> that cannot cope with yes. the stresses of life. So this is, you know,
2: fantastic.
1: Mm-hmm. You know the work that you're doing
2: to that point of like them growing up with like unmet needs, They don't know how to communicate. They develop so much anger. They're learning so many negative habits and they don't know, like I could break this cycle. I can learn to communicate. Like I have kids who be like, well, I was told if somebody say something, I say something back, but did you really have to say that Mm -hmm. negative thing back? Did that help? I'm not trying to tell you against your Mm parents, but. You've grown up to be a young person. We got to learn to make our own decisions. Like, let's start to like critically think about the decision we're making. So that's a lot of the conversations that need to be had. And there's not many of us to have them with Mm -hmm. the kids. Yes. Yes. Wonderful.
1: Thank you so much. So y'all please follow Queen T at the Four Air Project. Mm. Okay. And you'll see um, the information in, your sh- in the show notes once the e- um, episode is uploaded. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm so excited! If you guys want to connect with us on social media, you can follow us on Twitter at the Queens of Social Work pod or on Instagram at the Queens of Social Work. If you want more information on the topic we discussed today, feel free to check out our show notes or email us at thequeensofsocialwork at gmail.com. We'd really appreciate it if you rate, review, and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.